0: Father in heaven, we're thankful for this morning. We're thankful, Lord, for just the focus we can have on Jesus Christ. The way of salvation, message of John the Baptist, the Elijah message of the last days. Guide us as we look at this more clearly today. Help us to see how each one of us can take steps to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking through the last scenes of Christ's life through various means. We've been looking in the Gospels, each one of the Gospels, we've been reading the Desire of Ages book. And now as we prepare to go into the Old Testament and to look and see pictures and glimpses of Christ throughout the Old Testament, I wanted to make sure that the steps to Christ that we're going to look at here this morning, the steps that each one of us can take to approach Him on a regular basis was clear. Years ago, I remember being on this cattle ranch in Oregon just as a little child. It It wasn't like I spent my whole Days there, I, I, pretty much by the time I was 10 years of age, uh, we had moved away from there. But I remember as a child going to this right past the fence. Here is a gate, and then we'd go up this gate, and you would go around this hillside. and There's a barn up there, and I remember sometimes just walking up there on my own and going around there and going up to the barn, playing around for a little while, and then coming back down. And it'd be kind of dark, and I'd be looking out over. There was kind of a little valley there on the side of the property, you could look out, you could see just some beautiful hills, and you could see the stars coming out, and I would, be, I would be looking out there, and I would feel like there would be a sense of peace in my heart. I, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, I wasn't a Christian at the time, so I can't really put Christian language onto it, but really I felt like there was something beyond this world. I'll, now I can look back and say God was speaking to me through nature. That, that sense of peace I had was really coming from Him because he is the Prince of Peace. And I remember going from that place, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God, firmament shows his handiwork. That's what was really happening. But I remember leaving the stars and walking back down to the, main, to the house, and there would be this, every once in a while, this little voice that would remind me of things I should, should do and shouldn't do. Uh, you probably call it the still small voice. As a child, it was like, well, my, you know, my conscience is telling me not to do this or to do this. And so, was God speaking to me faithfully throughout all those years? Yeah, he was using the second book that he had available, Nature. And he was using that still, small voice that said, this is the way, walk you in it. And the question was, was I listening? Now, there, were, there were times when I was, and there were times when I wasn't. You can all probably relate to that. And as I got older, we moved from that place, like I mentioned last week, to Winston, Oregon, to this house. It's not looking like much, especially when you're used to all kinds of acreage compared to this little city lot and a lot of things started happening there. And as I began to still try to look up at the stars and look over, not to the valley in, in, in Looking Glass, but here in Winston, look over that way, I would still feel this connection that somehow God was trying to get my attention, that there was this peace that was beyond me. And what was strange was, is I would go to another place, to this house across town, to my grandfather's house, and I sensed as I'd gotten into the door of his home, that there was something different there, that that feeling I had when I was looking at the stars or was out in nature was there in that house. How could that be? I wasn't even in nature anymore, and yet there was this feeling that I could relax, that somehow God was, and I kind of knew about God a little bit, but it was really a distant memory, that somehow God was talking to me while I was there. And he would have Bible readings every night it was a tradition for him to have him in the morning, have him in the evening. And I remember when I was younger, I was more open to it. When I got older, I just literally went like that. I, I would go in the living room and I would put my fingers in my ears. And what was strange about a couple of those times is I could still hear him reading like it was loud and clear. That was strange. But one night after he read a text out of Revelation about a lake of fire, I uh, went back to my house across town. I started laying down going to sleep, and I just could not get it out of my mind. This lake of fire, this burning going on. And I went to sleep that night, and I had a nightmare on my street. It was just this crazy, vivid nightmare of me being in a molten lake of lava. And somehow I wasn't burning up. You know how if you throw something in molten lava, it should, it should just incinerate, right? I wasn't burning up. I was, in fact, I was like roasting on the inside and I was sweating and all of this. And, and I'd come up and I, it'd be like in a sauna. You're breathing in all this hot air. And in the dream, it was so real. And I remember somebody pushing me back down when I came up. And it just kept going like that. For, I don't know how long it went during the night. I know I woke up and it was partway through the morning when I finally woke up with sweat drenching me and all of that. And so it was strange. I had this peace and yet I had this unrest. Which way would I go? I wanted the peace. I didn't want the fire, especially the lake of fire with the devil or somebody with something plunging you down into it. But I really didn't feel like that picture of God was really that accurate anyway of an ever-burning hell. So I was kind of rejecting of that. But yet deep down, I knew that there was the possibility that I could burn And the question was to my mind, could I ever just have peace and not be a part of that lake of fire? Maybe you have different backgrounds and you're here for different reasons, but deep down inside, that's the real question, isn't it? Could I have peace with God? Not be afraid of God, but have peace with God. To know a God that is not going to burn me forever and a God that's really there to seek me and wants me to live forever with Him. Could I ever know that god i would walk the streets and uh do some behaviors that i regret even knowing about and eventually it found me not uh, back to my grandfather's house but actually in douglas county jail a couple of times by the time i was 16 and i think it was the third time by the time i was 17 and so there i was and up here you can't see it this is actually a part of the courthouse, but over here is a, is, was the jail back then. And up here is a, a place called the yard and it's fenced in, but you could, you could go out there and you could walk laps and all of that stuff. And I could look up and I could see those stars again. And that same nagging feeling was there. That I knew God was real. That I knew that the peace that I wanted, my grandfather had, and others had it. And now there I am looking up at the stars, feeling a sense of calmness as I think about someone greater than myself but yet my steps to him I just didn't quite know what steps to take I remember after being out in the yard one time I came back into the day room of that cell block because my bed was on the on the day room floor we had nine guys eight rooms so I was sleeping on the floor And I remember going over to the bookshelf, and I've told this story before, but I grabbed clumps of books, put them in my pillowcase, just hoping to lift weights and get rid of just the feeling of frustration and whatever else was going on in my life. I was really actually mad at the lawyer because I couldn't lie my way out of jail that time. And as I was lifting those weights, it wouldn't work, I grabbed another clump, and there was a little book that said something about freedom. had a white dove flying out of a golden cage. Now, of course, I wanted freedom for the wrong reasons, but deep down I also wanted something else. I wanted that peace. And so I did what only anybody else would do. I read the book. It told me that I separated myself from God, that that really the reason why I felt this distance as I looked at the night sky was because of my own choices. That I had made and I knew that I knew I had hurt people I hurt myself and and I I imagined that if there was a God then in some way I'd hurt him as well there was a separation between me and him it also talked about how apart from him I'd be going a a path that was destined for death he was a life giver And, and so if I'm going away from him then I'm going naturally down a path towards death and it pointed out that Jesus was then God's solution the way that I could turn back and have that peace and bridge that gap was not myself. It was what God had done. That humanly speaking, we could not bridge the gap ourselves. That deep down, we cannot generate peace within ourselves. That's why Jesus became, God became man. And as I read that, it dawned on me that what my grandfather really had was this Jesus. It went on and said, I, He died so that I could be set free. That's how you could have the freedom on the front of the brochure. <laughs> and it had these three R's, and you might be familiar with them. You've got to choose to repent. In other words, you've got to believe. You've got to realize that you've got to turn around. You know, God's getting your attention. Turn around. Repent. Turn. And then it said, not only that, once I decide to turn towards Him, because I've turned my back on Him, then I've got I to go to Him and realize that I have caused this gap between us, I need to confess to Him my part that I've played in that. And accept that He chooses to forgive me. That He has bridged the gap. And He wants to do it not just for the whole world, but for me. He wants to bridge the gap for me. And then it said, All right, after that, then you need to respond. It didn't use this R, I I added this one. It it mentioned Bible study and continuing in prayer and and getting in a group and all of that. I used the word respond, respond continually. That seemed pretty simple, didn't it? So I I wanted to believe, that's why I'm even reading that little booklet. I'm deciding that it's time, it's time for me to, to call out to God for my part in this. And then it made sense then to keep focused on Him. So, I summarize it this way. I just thanked Him for His love. I said, forgive me for all my sins. I went back through a whole list from the time I could remember all the way back up to that point. And my basic prayer was, God, take control of my life. It's a mess. Just take control of my life. I still remember that little booklet hitting the ground. Me standing up. After that prayer, I looked at all those cells along the cell block and through tears I said to myself, I'm truly free. I'm locked up, but I'm free. Is it that simple? As crying out to God to begin that peace in our hearts? Why do we make it so complicated? Those steps to Christ seem fairly simple, don't they? In fact, it almost like it just began with a prayer. John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know it. And all he says is you just have to ask. Believing. Even if you don't feel like it. Even if your week has been bombarded by all kinds of stuff. Ask, and he will give it to you. Well, soon after that, my grandfather sent me a silent preacher, this book here. It looked just like that too. I pulled this off the internet this week and I said, wow, that, that thing's been around for a while. And so there's this old artwork and everything like that. And I remember when I first received it, some of the pages were yellowed on it. you know. And I thought, well, my grandpa's had this literature around for a little while. And he, he put it in there through the proper authorities. This book gets to me. And as I'm reading through this book, it mentions several areas. I didn't have a clue and understand most of these areas at the time. In fact, I was rereading this book the last two weeks for my devotions, and I said to myself, "You know, these are some big words. Repentance, you know, like I no wonder why I didn't understand what it meant. What does it even mean to to repent? And you add an "s" on the end of it there, and it's like it looks like a huge word. And my reading level at the time was really very low. And simply put, the book said you got to just turn around." You hear the voice of God calling you, convicting you through the Holy Spirit. That's a gift of grace. God's been kind to you just even for the fact you can hear his voice. If you hear his voice like Adam and Eve in the garden, just turn around. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Murray? That seems pretty simple. And the book said that once you hear his voice and you turn towards him, then you come to him realizing what you've done. Not necessarily confessing because he doesn't know it, but because you need to lay it down you need to lay it aside and you ask him for forgiveness you could apply this to every relationship couldn't you especially to the one between us and god and then you submit to god and ellen white says we wage war against self when we do that there's a war to be waged it's not like we just hey i believe i believe and that's it she says that that you have to submit to god and wage war against yourself all those things in the past You could do a genogram and look back on your generational sins. You could see what affected your great-grandparents and your grandparents and your dad and you and your children. You could look back and see that those things there, you could literally have freedom from them if you wanted to. If you want to wage war against all of that. Some people say, God can never forgive me. That is a total bogus lie. Doesn't it say that he visits the iniquity to the third and the fourth generation? But what about mercy how many generations some old testament translators say thousands of generations you could just say thousands whatever it doesn't matter thousands of people in my family genealogy would mean it's going to go down for a little ways he can forgive if i will come to him and i want to wage war against that past and how do i wage it? she says with his love and grace i mean those words are so overused today though Love and grace. Oh, He loves me. He loves me. And, and then we do grace the same way. It's, these are deep, significant words which means that God has chosen to care about us even if we're unloving. He's chosen to show His face of kindness. He even says He, he has grace in His eyes for us. Wow, that's, that's another interesting step then. I can wage war with Him showing His kindness to me and helping me. And then... She goes on, and and I'm I'm summarizing it into a 4 step. She says, that then we can pass the test of discipleship. Not a bookmark, memory, uh, mission statement that you've got to come up with, but the test of discipleship. What is it? She says, of whom do we love to think about? Of whom has our thoughts? Of whom do we love to talk about? That's the test of discipleship, the questions to ask yourself. If deep down inside, you love thinking about Christ, if deep down inside, if you had your way and, and you could just step out of yourself and just leave all that junk behind, you could just talk about them all the time. And everybody would listen, you know, <laughs> you hand out all that literature. Uh, I'm thinking of Debbie and how she's handing out literature there. People with Vic, you, you, everyone here, you know, when you, you hand something out to somebody, you just wish they would listen, you know. That feeling you have inside, that it, when they do, that joy, and you just want to talk about it and share it everywhere, wouldn't you like to have that all the time? If you do, then that shows that you're His disciple. It doesn't matter how you feel, or if you've been sick like I have, or others who here. You guys, we've all had health problems. It's an amazing, amazing time of the year. It's just, you almost want to just can church and send everybody home and, you know, or have you give you guys masks at the door. But it doesn't matter how you feel, good or bad today. This is not based on how we feel. This is based upon the fact from God's Word, which says that if you loved to think about Him. If your thoughts are on Him, if this mind of Christ be in you, then you are Christ. Heirs according to the promise. And I thought as I read this book in the jail there, I didn't understand it. Now this week, I'm just starting to really unpack it more and more. I read it several times since then. But are those steps really that new? You know? Are they new in the 21st century and and then back when Ellen White wrote that book? No, they're really not that new. You go back to the Old Testament. I'm quoting directly from this little booklet that my grandfather gave me. It says it this way, many are the figures by which the Spirit of God has sought to illustrate this truth. What is it? This idea of coming to Christ. And make it plain to souls that long to be freed from the burden of guilt. He has tried in all kinds of ways to paint pictures, individual portraits in front of each one of our faces for us to see how we could be free from guilt and sin. Speaking of Jacob, she said, when after his sin in deceiving Esau, Jacob fled from his father's home, he was weighed down with a sense of guilt. I mean, he ought to be. He not only deceived Esau, but he left his his mom and his dad in the the hands of people who were really of pagan mindset. I mean, can you imagine that in their old age? The sorrow that Esau and them brought to the mom and dad. So not only deceived him, but he had other things that happened as well. Lonely and outcast as he was, he was separate from all that made him life dear, his family. The one thought that above all others pressed upon his soul was the fear that his sin had cut him off from God. That he was forsaken of heaven. Do you ever feel like there's times when you wonder, up until recently, I haven't really had this feeling, but I had it this week where I felt like there was a disconnect between me and heaven. I just didn't feel it. I just didn't feel the connection. Does that mean there's no connection still? It's like that satellite dish up on the roof here. You just got to retune it. You, gotta, you have to literally be retuned. You, it's still coming in to the, to the receiver. It's just a matter of us. You say, well, that's works. No, it's not. It's, re- it's having an open, receptive heart and recognizing there's not something there. He recognized he felt like he was cut off from God, that he was forsaken. In sadness, he lay down to rest and the, on the bare earth. Around him, only the lonely hills and above the heavens bright with stars. Man, my experience, years w- way back in yonder times, people have looked up at the stars, have cried out to God. Continues, as he slept, a strange light broke upon his vision, And lo, from the plain on which he lay, vast shadowy stairs seemed to be leading upward to the very gates of heaven. And upon them angels of God were passing up and down, while from the glory above the divine voice was heard in a message of comfort and hope. Whatever this dream means, it has to mean that. He hears a message of comfort and hope from heaven. Thus was made known to Jacob that which met the need and longing of his soul, a Savior. That's what makes the longing of our soul. This world will hold up magazine pictures and make you think you've got to look a certain way, make you think you've got to achieve a certain American dream, make you feel like all of these different things are the things to pursue, but deep down inside, the fulfillment of all of those desires is a Savior. Somebody told me that there was 800 acres I could buy at $1,000 an acre up in Oregon you say, wow, maybe I should snatch that up. But the thought occurred to me. Not only would it place my family in financial ruin, but if I win one person to Jesus, just one, that person will be of more value than all the houses and lands of this world. My family of four little ones and my wife. I mean, sometimes you'll call and you'll get my cell phone message instead of me. There's a reason for that. If you call me on Friday night, I'm having family worship. If you call me at lunchtime, I'm eating with family lunch with them before I hit the road. Okay, so why is that? Because my family is of that much value to me. Each one of us is of that much value to God. And deep down, who cares how much land you have and how much wealth you have? It's all going to be no, We're really worth nothing when it's all said and done. The currency exchange is really your heart only. When, when Jesus comes. It won't matter what your portfolio says. And by the way, who really cares if you die and they say, well, he had all these things plus other assets and totaling a certain billion amount of dollars. Who really cares? You're dead. It means nothing to you. And so here's somebody who, yeah, his flocks have grown. Yes, he's he's all things these kinds of things happen, but deep down inside, he needs a savior. The mystical ladder of his dream represented Jesus, the only medium of communication between God and man. He chooses no other medium but Jesus. He doesn't even choose me he che- or you. He chooses Jesus. He's the only medium of communication between us. So you can imagine that dream. Wouldn't that be amazing? Have a dream like that? Uh, it's a lot better than the dream I had about the hellfire. And so there is this... This, these steps on Jacob's ladder. And we say, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. We sing that, Soldier of the Cross. Deep down though, what's the ladder? It's Jesus. He's the only one who's bridged the gap. So every step of the journey, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I know we don't like to say that flippantly like a lot of other churches do, but deep down, isn't it that simple? Because if he could have generated the peace himself, wouldn't he have found some other way to do it? So heaven sends him this message of comfort. Those are steps to Christ, literally, right? (laughs) One by one, all the way up to heaven. John says it this way, you shall see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus, John quotes Jesus as saying, that vision represented me. The angels... Descending and ascending were on Jesus. He was the way, the truth, and life. The way to heaven. He still is today. I read on in that little booklet again this week. In the apostasy, man alienated himself from God. Earth was cut off from heaven. That is a terrible thought. Can you imagine dying right now and never knowing anything else, period? Just black, abysmal death doesn't really feel that good to think about that that's the way we are without what she goes on to say we were cut off from heaven across the gulf that lay between there could be no communication no communion but through christ earth is again linked with heaven it's like all of a sudden a brand new day with his own merits christ has bridged the gulf which sin had made so that the ministering angels can hold communion with us Christ connects fallen man in His weakness and helplessness with the source of infinite power. That is how we overcome. And He tells Nathaniel that that dream in the Old Testament was representing Me. Later on, He tells His disciples, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. So it seems rather simple. You've got these Old Testament statements about how you can literally go to heaven. There's a, there's a, there's a ladder there. Jesus says, I'm the ladder there. So all we got to do is come to him to begin the journey. All right, young people, here's our scripture for our FBI sheet, Romans 8. Paul came across the same idea later on in time. Romans chapter 8 verse 7. Romans chapter 8, you start at verse 6 and go through 7 and 8. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So we want true life and peace. We need to be spiritually minded. How can that happen? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor can indeed be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So in and of ourselves, do we have the power to climb that ladder ourselves? Can we even step foot on that path? ourselves now god is the one who initiates it gets our attention even wants us to to say lord please help me start on the journey and then he continues to back up and bolster that each step of the journey so it says here we can't change ourselves we, we're carnally minded we can't even begin to grasp the law of god we cannot even please god but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit Deep down inside, I want to find a way to do it myself. There's got to be something I can do. But it makes very clear, I don't have the power to do that. I can submit my heart to Him and continue to do that. And there is a part to play with my human body now. There is a part to that. But Romans makes it clear, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. The carnal mind is enmity against God. We cannot in and of ourselves make ourselves right with God or obey His law. We can maybe outwardly appear like we are, but that will not save you. Education, culture, the exercise of the will, human effort, all have their proper sphere, but they are powerless. Powerless. They can produce outward correctness of behavior but they cannot change the heart they cannot purify the springs of life we will still have you wonder why there's times where we could talk about the love of god all we want but deep down we have this bitter root in us somehow how do we get rid of that there must be a power working from within a new life from above before men can change be changed from sin to holiness that power is christ his grace alone can quicken the lifeless faculties of the soul and attract it to god holiness by ourselves. We're not even attracted to God. And this is saying over and over again, it's from within, from within, from within. So I'm powerless, so are you. I'd like to be able to find a way I could have uh, more of a part in this whole thing. But the initiation is from God. My part is to choose. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live... Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. and the life I now live. I'm, I am living a life for Him. I really am. I'm making choices. I'm taking, and, and as I'm making these choices, my human body is doing things that it never wanted to do before. Come on, come on, guys. Tofu, are, are we really comparing that to the meat? I mean, I, who would ever see this, this guy growing up on a cow around to eating tofu? I mean, that's an interesting choice, isn't it? Sitting here in church with you on Saturday morning instead of doing the things I wanted to do, humanly speaking. There's no way I'd even do these things if it wasn't for some kind of change from within. I, humanly speaking, didn't have a, want to have a desire to even be here on a Saturday morning. Worse enough getting me on there on Sunday morning, let alone a Saturday morning. And so this is saying a life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not, I'm not even living for myself anymore. Something has happened. Murray has died, and the only thing I have left, the remnants of it, is his hand coming up from the grave, trying to just somehow get out and have some kind of special resurrection of itself. And so whether you grew up in the church or not, you got to die. Crucifixion is necessary. It's bloody, it's painful, but it's necessary. Uh, Jesus told somebody in John three who grew up going to church, "You got to be born again," he said. And Nicodemus is like, Really? I've made this whole journey in the middle of the night to come to you. Steps to Christ, right? And you're telling me I have to be born again? I've got to be baptized with water and be born again? Baptisms for the Gentiles. They're the ones who need to be converted. I'm the religious teacher. Can you imagine just the, just the whole frustration with what Jesus said here as well as not understanding it? He literally says, They've got to crawl back in my mother's womb. You've got to be born again born from above it says in the greek and unless you're born from above you cannot see the kingdom of god how can i be born from above well the text goes on jesus says do not marvel that i said to you you must be born again or born from above the spirit breathes where he desires or blows the wind blows and you hear his voice but you do not know from where he comes and where he goes so is everyone who is born of the spirit you're like whoa that's just that doesn't help me at all Born from above means being born of the Spirit. Who does the Spirit tell us about? In John 17 it says it tells us about Jesus. So you have to in order to be born from above, you've got to know, recognize the story of Jesus. Recognize your part in it. Recognize that he came just in essence for you, if it came down to it. And by doing that, something begins to change within you. And then you begin spending time focusing on Him. And and that ends up being a spiritual rebirth. So the Spirit is needed. He goes on and says more specifically where we're needed to spend our time focusing. Jesus came down from heaven, the Son of Man. No one has gone up to heaven except He who came down from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. But even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What specifically helps us be born again? It's none other than the death of Jesus. Because in order to to be born again spiritually means that you have to die spiritually first to be resurrected. So the only place I know of in the scriptures that points to someone dying in my place that I can somehow tap into spiritually is at the cross. So I look at the cross and he says, at least twice here in this text, if I believe I will have everlasting life. If I look to Jesus lifted up on the cross and now all of a sudden I'm dead and He's alive in me, I'm born again. Of course, you want to be baptized and all of that. That takes place too. And then we get the favorite text. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the only way to have life forevermore and to be not only recognizing your eternal value, but to experience your eternal value forever. It goes on. You can uh, read the whole chapter if you want. You know, we may have flattered ourselves, as did Nicodemus, that our life has been upright, that our moral character is correct, and think that we n- need not humble the heart before God. I mean, come on, do any of us think that really? Do you really think that you, your good outweighs the bad? One misdeed, one angry thought is murder in the eyes of God. One longing over a certain vehicle or a certain job or whatever, that's not just like a lust, it's more of a coveting to God. Do we honestly think that deep down we have arrived to correct behavior to the point where we don't need the cross? Well, she's saying that some people are not willing to humble themselves before God, like the common sinner. They, they don't want to see themselves as a common sinner. I mean, that guy's got to be saved, but not me. But when the light from Christ shines into our souls, we shall see how impure we are. That even Nicodemus had to look to the cross it shows that all of us have to look to the cross. Regardless of how good we think we could have been. Then we shall know that our own righteousness is indeed as filthy rags and that the blood of Christ alone can cleanse us from our defilement of sin, renew our hearts into his own likeness. That's why Jesus says the Spirit testifies of me, points everyone to me. If you want to be born again, you've got to know Christ. And I don't know about you, but I think I need to know him every day. Because this world's got all kinds of infomercials to get my brain somewhere else the other option is if you don't want to know him well then you look at the stories in the bible and you'll say no oh, you know what um that story of the pharisee and the publican where the, where the righteous guy is standing there and saying i'm glad i'm not like this guy and the other guy's head down and he's saying lord be merciful to me a sinner which one are we in the story if you say i'm the publican or the guy who's looking down to the ground i'm not worthy That would be the correct answer, wouldn't it? But wouldn't the Pharisee always give the correct answer? So deep down inside, you've got to say, no, I am the guy who thinks I'm better than other people. And I need to acknowledge that so that I can become the person who realizes I'm nobody. We become the Israelite leaders who condemn each other and Jesus to death without Christ. Eventually, we get to the point where our own opinions seem to be more correct than even God's. You say, well, how could that ever be? Have you ever felt like you knew everything about a situation and therefore knew why somebody did something without even talking to them? And then you walk and you got on the phone with somebody and talked to them about it. Who's the judge in that situation? Who's taking upon themselves the judgment? The one who thinks they know everything. And that really comes to my heart. I've got to be careful with that. Because I'm not a better judge than God. And if I don't accept Christ, then I can put myself on a pedestal to the point where I feel like I'm better than everybody else. And then we spit in Jesus' face, we dry the nails in His hands, we hit Him repeatedly with a staff that is taken from our eye, that big old staff, that plank, and we begin to beat Jesus with it, beating each other and hurting Him as well. Because we don't even see him. And so we got to look to Christ. Yeah, he was that child who never did anything wrong and who was always there. I mean, can you imagine that? Living through your childhood without the selfish decisions that we've all made. Can you imagine that? That's an amazing thought. And then he, he gets later on, and, and every motive he has is just to bless people. The children come to him. I don't know if the birds flew onto his finger or like that, but the children come to him, and they love being around the guy. And yet, all those people who witnessed that, innocence, a lot of them were there at the cross. Some of them were mocking him, throwing the robe upon his back. Some were there spitting upon him, saying, you know, if you're the Son of God, come down from that cross. So we've got to look there often. And so the cross shows us heaven's big gift. Let's go there. That's, that's where the steps to Christ begins. And then we continue to focus our thoughts on the light that streams from Calvary. There's a whole lot more I could talk about. So I'm going back to the beginning of this whole thing to this morning. I got to first, my first step to Christ is to turn around and recognize that God has given so much for me. I'm of value because of Him, not because of me. Then I got to confess to Him that I have messed up. Lord, please take control this and then now lord i want to wage war against that old life that's consecration and then now i want to have my thoughts focused on him to the point where the most pure thought i have is to think of jesus those are some pretty simple steps to christ otherwise it becomes a drudgery because a profession of christ without this deep love is mere talk dry formality such a heavy drudgery it gets heavy at a point where you want to give up And so I want to focus on Jesus. Those steps. I'm going to change it into myself now. I need to turn to Jesus and recognize I'm of eternal value. But I also need to seek forgiveness for what I've done in the past. And I need to consecrate myself. God, I'm going to wage war against my old life. I'm going to do it with your love and your grace. And God, do you have my thoughts? Do I have peace with God? I do. Without money, without price. I found, as I look back and how I became a Christian and I continued walking with Christ, all those steps were in my experience. And so when I was looking out at the night sky as a young person, it was pretty simple back then. There's a peace that you don't have. Now I've got the peace. And so now as I look up at the sky, it's almost like, keep looking, Murray, keep looking up until you hear the shout. It's going to happen soon. And we're going to go to wonderful places together. And then As I look to the cross, I keep looking and seeing what Jesus has done for me. And I look up, and I don't doubt anymore. I call out to Jesus. I come with my whole heart so I can have a blessing. Beautiful prayer there on page 54 of that book. So years ago, there I was, a new Christian. I got this little book. I know some of you have this version now. And if for some reason you need a copy of this, let me know. But that little book was given to me. And this very week, my testimony is that it reminded me of how simple it really is. That my steps to jesus that i can take every day are very simple i got to recognize my need i got to come to him and say yeah, i'm not worthy lord take control of my life give me the victory i need keep my thoughts focused on you and so that nightmare is actually a true story in a way you know there is going to be some fire but i'm not afraid of that fire I'm looking forward to that cleansing fire that will will permeate this world and will transform it into something new. I'm looking forward to the day when those steps to Christ that I prophesied in the Old Testament and confirmed in the New Testament and confirmed in my heart will lead me all the way to heaven. Beyond the idea of just focusing on the cross, I want to focus on Him, that He is coming back. That's quite a hope, isn't it? That every step of the journey that we take forward brings us closer to something like this. That's a lot of encouragement. That's a wonderful hope. And I hope that all of us can be there on that day. Father in heaven, we have this love, this love that the world is waiting for. Help us to keep the steps to Jesus simple and the steps to his kingdom that's coming soon even simpler, Lord. Help us to stay focused on you. We commit our hearts to you once again here this morning. Guide us to share this love with those around us so they'll notice the peace that we have like I noticed in my grandfather and others. And they'll want it. And then when the time comes, they'll take that first step of the journey and they'll keep taking steps to Christ until they see Him face to face. We place ourselves in your hands and Your care. Guide us to that day when we see you face to face. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.